Hebrews 4, verse 15, it says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus, I'm grateful, Lord, for your grace. Lord, I'm, I'm so grateful that in my weakness, Lord, when you see that weakness, it does not surprise you, it does not alarm you. Lord, but you have told us that we can come boldly to your seat. We can come boldly to your presence. We can come boldly to your throne, knowing that we will find grace. Grace that sometimes is a little difficult to, to accept. Grace that is never deserved. But grace that says, you are my child. You are the one whom I love. Father, today, uh, as we continue on in this, this series, Unconditional, Lord, I pray that, that a new perspective, Lord, and a new outpouring of your love would fill our hearts today. God, that we would understand the depths of your love for us, Lord, that, that we would understand um, the unconditional way that you love us. Lord Jesus, because unconditional really, really is about grace. And so, Lord, we wait for you. God, we sit at your, at your throne today and we ask that you would speak directly into our hearts. Jesus, this morning we all came to church with, with a different need. Lord, we came with a different thing that we needed to know this morning. Jesus, with a different thing that we needed to feel this morning. Lord, and I believe that you are faithful. That when we seek after you, we will find you. Lord, and that when we're gathered together as a community, you are sitting in and amongst our, pre our very presence. Jesus, would you pierce our ears today with your truth? And would you draw us near to you? It's in your precious and holy name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus, that we pray all of these things. Amen. Well, good morning. How are you? It's so lovely to see all your beautiful faces. You guys, I said, how are you? And you were like, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, good morning. I'm excited to be back and functioning. I uh, took a little time this week to, uh, you know, like detox from camper life. And let me tell you what, that's, that's a weird experience. Um, 
I, I said it before and I'll say it again, that's a weird experience. Uh, I, it was like coming home and flushing the toilet and just watching it go down. Like, that was just beautiful. Yeah, and hallelujah, praise God. Like, I was like, it's going down and I'm never going to have to see or smell it again. It's wonderful. Um, yeah, we had, we, we had a, an issue with our porta potty uh, towards the end there. And I called the porta potty people like five times. <laughs> like, they knew me by name by the end of it. And I was just like, somebody's just got to come out with the vacuum. Please help us. <laughs> Uh, but it was a great experience. It was wonderful. And this week was wonderful to have uh, a toilet that didn't require a vacuum. That was wonderful. Um, that has nothing to do with today, but uh, that's just me. Uh, <laughs> so I wanted to start our conversation today asking you, uh, who is somebody that you have been friends with for like a long time? A long time. And I say like oldest and dearest, but I don't mean, you know, their age. I mean how long they've been in your life. Uh, one of my closest friends, her name is Carrie, and most of you guys have met her. And she lives in Oklahoma. And our sophomore year of college, and this time of year always reminds me of it, but my sophomore year of college is in the summer between uh, my my freshman year of college and my sophomore year of college, and we got assigned to be roommates. Uh, in the summertime in summer housing. And in summer housing, you don't live in a dorm, you live in a house. And we lived in a house, and it was usually the house that all the boys lived in. So if you can imagine what it smelled like when we got there, like, and then multiply that by 10, okay? Uh, because they were also like athletic boys, so sweat forever. Um, and <laughs> anyway, uh, Carrie and I, we got there first. So we dibsed the biggest room that was in there. And this was a room that I think used to be a garage. It was so big, okay? And we were like, this is awesome. We're here first. There's only two of us. Dibs, that's ours. And, and we started living in there, and we had all this space. Like, we had three twin-sized beds in there, but it was so spacious still. It was wonderful. We, we played um, that, that game that you dance with the Wii. Like, we had room for that in that room. And... It was great. And I remember as Oklahoma heat set in, that room just kept getting hotter and hotter. And Carrie and I suddenly were like, no wonder nobody wanted this room, okay? Uh, why did we take this room? This room is awful. It was probably a garage. It's hot. I can't stand it. And so we got all these fans. We got these huge, big box fans. And I remember I had a, a dresser that was sitting right at the head of my bed, and I just sat the box fan there, and I slept right in front of it. And I was just like, Lord Jesus, help me. And it was so hot because it's a different kind of hot, people. It's a humid hot. It's armpit weather hot, and it was so gross, and <laughs> I remember there was one day, and we were both started getting sick because we were sleeping in front of fans, duh, and we both have these sore throats, and we're like, this is so terrible, we're so hot, and we're sick, and we got go, ah. and then one morning, <laughs> and this is the morning that Carrie and I became best friends, uh, <laughs> I woke up, and I look over at her, and she, she just looks at me with the look like, yeah, it's, it's terrible in here, I know. And I don't know who said it. One of us said it. We said, is the vent open? <laughs> is the vent to the air conditioner open in here? 
And we just start laughing. And she starts laughing. I'm crying at this point. She gets up on a chair. They weren't open. And this whole time, we were dying of heat. We were getting ourselves sick. And the whole time, the air conditioner wasn't on. And we just laughed and laughed and laughed. I remember thinking the whole time we just kept saying to each other, is the vent open? Is the vent open? And we became really, really close friends after that because we had seen how stupid each other could be. Uh, but, but she is one of my closest and oldest friends. We've been friends for 11 years. And every single year, Facebook pops up this post about us finding the vent. And she sends it to me and says, happy friend anniversary," And I say, oh, thank you. Um, but do you have those people in your life that you just have known forever? Um, and it's difficult, you know, to know somebody forever. Because uh, you know all their secrets. And, and they know yours. Uh, <laughs> Carrie has, like, a look that she can give me. And I just know what she's saying, you know. Um, but friends like that, they are really challenging to keep up with. And Carrie now lives in Oklahoma, and I live here, obviously, and it's difficult. She has a kid now, like a whole human. She has one. And, and so I have to keep up with not just Carrie, but Diana, and, which is a blessing, because I send her pictures of my cute dog. She sends me pictures of her cute baby, and I just say, pleasure doing business with you, you know? Um, and, and that's how our friendship works, but it takes a lot of work. Uh, it's been said that absence makes the heart grow fonder. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes it, it really doesn't. Sometimes if you have a friend and you move away and things change, you just lose contact with them. And so I want to illustrate this point. I want to take a poll, okay? So I, I told you to imagine your friend that you've been friends with the longest. And I want you to stand up. Everybody stand up with me. Okay, and if you, you have no friends, like, I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> You can, you can have a friend with me, and I've been here three years, so that one counts. All right, so I want you to sit down if you've been friends with this person for five years or less. Guys, that's pretty good. Okay, seven years or less? Okay, 10 years or less? Okay, uh, 15 years or less? 20 years or less? 30 years or less? Okay. <laughs> I was getting a little nervous there, right? Um, 35 years or less? Gosh, you're old, aren't you? Um, 40 years or less? 50 years or less? Okay, how long? 65. 60. Oh, come on. That's cheap. That's Melvin, isn't it? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 65 years in California. Okay, what about you? What about you, Val? 52 years. Wow, that's awesome. And that's like something to be celebrated, isn't it? Isn't it? Like, that's so awesome. Because distance is a very difficult thing to climb. It's a very difficult thing. If anybody's ever had a long-distance relationship, that's not fun, you know? If anybody's had a long-distance friendship, that's even tougher. <laughs> uh, because things happen, circumstances change, and uh, life moves on. And suddenly you find yourself kind of drifting away from that person. And I think that worse than just having a friendship drift away is when we seem 
to have distance between us and Jesus. You know, just like a friend that you met in high school. Uh, life happens, crisis happens, and you keep meaning to return the calls and spend time with him, but it just seems like it drifts farther and further away. I don't know if you've ever been there, or you've had distance in your relationship with the Lord. I've been there. Um, I was kind of there this week even a little bit, where it was like I, I sat up and I thought, when was the last time that I just carved out some time for Jesus? And it happens like almost by accident sometimes, where we look at life and we say, wow, I just got busy and where is Jesus in this mix? You know, it happens maybe sometimes when you live in a camper for two weeks and your life is completely interrupted. Uh, but it happens when you look at your life and you say, crud, this Savior, this person that I have said, this Lord that I have said that I want to focus my life on, I barely spend five minutes with. And this, this sermon series is called Unconditional. And today's hope this morning is that Christ's unconditional love is close even when we're distant. Christ's unconditional love is close even when we are distant. That no matter how far we feel from Jesus, he is near. And I want to show you the truth of that through looking at a story about 10 guys that have leprosy. Um, now, just as a disclaimer, I am going to call them lepers. I am not calling them leopards. Okay? They are sick people. They are not scary cats. Fair enough? Lepers. And if I slip up and say leopard, you are allowed to laugh at me. Okay? Uh, but, but lepers, or people with leprosy, leprosy is a bacterial infectious disease, and it would come upon somebody, and then they would begin to lose the feeling in their body. Uh, it would start with their fingers and their toes where you would just not feel what is happening. And then it would start moving and destroying more. It would take your whole hands or your whole feet. And this is trouble because especially in Jesus' time, you could be walking around in the desert. You could step on a rock or a piece of glass or pottery and not even realize it because you had no feeling and then not treat it, and not clean it. And, and then it would move completely up, up your arms, up your legs, into your body, and then it would make its way to your eyes. And you wouldn't be able to feel when something was in your eye. <sighs> okay? Like, that's disgusting. You wouldn't be able to feel that there was a speck of dust in your eye. You'd forget to blink. Everybody just take a big blink right now. Make us feel better. But, but, but you would forget to blink. And it would cause blindness. It would then move on uh, to your central nervous system. And your body would lose all control of regulating itself. Uh, it would forget to regulate blood pressure and heart rate and sweating. Like if I wouldn't have been able to sweat at that fireworks stand, I have no idea how I would have lived, you know? Uh, sweating. You couldn't sweat. Your body didn't realize that it needed to. And then it would forget, and it would forget how to manage your bathroom functions. And it was like your body was just slowly shutting down. William Barclay, he talks about this. 
He said, leprosy might begin with the loss of all sensation in some part of the body. The nerve trunks are affected, the muscle wastes away, the tendons contract until your hands are like claws. There follows ulcerations on your hands and feet. Then comes the progressive loss of fingers and toes until in the end, a whole hand or a whole foot may drop off. It's like waking up to that, holy cow. And then it says, the duration of that kind of leprosy is anything from 20 to 30 years. It's the kind of terrible progressive death in which a man dies by inches. By inches, life is taken away. And as terrible as the the physical aspect of it is, worse than that is that the more the infection takes over your body, the more everybody distances themselves from you. The further society wants to be from you, the more your family has to protect themselves from you until you have been pushed to the outskirts of society, until you find yourself in a no man's land. And that's where we find today's story. We find today's story in a place where it was between two cities, where nobody lived. And so we're going to look at Luke 17. We're going to start in verse 11. It says, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So this is one of the first recorded instances where Jesus encounters a leper. And this is, this, what happens is, is that the literal translation for uh, when he reached between Galilee and Samaria is that he passed through. He passed through the middle of, meaning that these people were so far into their leprosy that they had been cast out of society itself. And he meets them there, and the lepers, from a distance, because they didn't want to get their leprosy on anybody else, yell, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And this is where we learn the first truth about distance. And that is that distance sometimes comes from circumstances. Like sometimes when you feel distant in your relationship with Jesus, it's because you've faced a big, stinky situation. Uh, This happens when we lose our relationships and our jobs. It happens when we give up on our dreams and our hopes. It happens when we get distracted by the world and we find ourselves distant in our relationship with Jesus. I I was researching it, and leprosy, the most common way of contracting it, was getting coughed or sneezed on. Ew. Do I have any germaphobes this morning? There we go. And some of you guys are like, I'm newly germaphobic uh, now that you said that. Uh, But I was researching, and this one's one's just a freebie, but I was researching on uh, the CDC website. And just so you know, Uh, The best way to cover a sneeze, if you do not have a tissue, is your arm. So everybody practice the vampire move, okay? 
Um, that's the best way to do it. That's what the CDC said. But also, it went on to say that when you sneeze, you have the ability and the power to launch germs up to 10 feet away. 10 feet away! Like I could sneeze and Valerie could get it right now. Isn't, doesn't that blow your mind? I can't even, I can't even hawk a loogie that far, you know? But I can sneeze and I can propel those germs 10 feet away. And so what that means is that these guys that had leprosy, more than likely, they didn't even know the people that gave it to them. It was just from some nasty open mouth sneezer that maybe didn't even realize what he was doing. And what, what I mean to say is that sometimes circumstances that are beyond your control produce distance. You know, your friend or your family member hurt you deeply, and it's difficult to be close to anybody. You know, it could be that you lost your job and there are not enough hours in the day. Maybe your spouse stopped caring for you the way that they should, or your ex abused you, and you're still trying to wade through that. Listen, I think that too many people, too many pastors, when we talk about having distance in our relationship with the Lord, we talk too much about how if we just tried harder, we would be better. Oh, you're distant with Jesus. Well, just try harder. And can we just admit for a second that life is not that simple sometimes? That it is not black and white like that? And there are times when circumstances happen and distance occurs. And, and we drift away, and it's probably temporarily, and it's not nearly as intentional as your guilt would suggest. I think that's the enemy's number one tactic when we drift away from the Lord, is guilt. Is looking at you and telling you that you are so far gone, and it is of your doing, and he will never take you back again. And that's not our Jesus. That's not my God. Second thing that we learn about distance, distance sometimes comes from others. Uh, the rabbis in Jesus' time, Jesus was a rabbi, right? The rabbis, so his, his peers, they would brag about how poorly they had treated lepers that day. They would gather around and they would all swap stories. And one of the, the rabbis uh, that I read about, he would brag about the fact that he would not even buy an egg on the street where he saw a leper. Which, honestly, at first glance when I read that, I thought, whoa, okay, <laughs> you know, big tough guy won't buy an egg, you know. Uh, and it kind of reminded me of when I was in college, uh, because when I went to a Christian, a private Christian college, rebellion just looks different there, <laughs> okay? Um, it looks different when you're surrounded by, like, Christ strong Christian ministry students and homeschooled kids. Uh, it just looks different. And I remember I'd go home in, high or in college to my high school friends, and they'd talk about, like, co-ed dorms and drinking and frat parties and all these wild and crazy things. And I'd be like, yeah, one time my friends swam in a pond that they told us we can't. 
like, big tough guy, you know? <laughs> and I never really got that. And, and the, the rabbis, when I read that, I thought, that's just kind of silly and stupid. Uh, but they didn't stop there. Uh, it was also said that rabbis would throw stones at lepers when they saw them in the street or at the market. Uh, Jewish law said that a leper would need to be six feet away from them. Six feet away, so probably from like here to that speaker. And, and six feet away is not that big of a deal, right? Like I could have a conversation with you six feet away. You know, we might have to shout. I probably wouldn't tell you my like closest secrets, you know, from six feet away. Uh, but I could have a conversation. But then... The Jewish law goes on to state that if it's windy outside, just if there's any wind at all in the desert, okay, 150 feet away, 150 feet away from every single person that you know that you love and that could possibly help you. And the only thing worse for somebody in society than touching a leper was literally touching a dead body. William Barclay, he went on to say, in the Middle Ages, if a man became a leper, the priest donned his stole, took his crucifix, and brought the man into the church and read the bur burial service over him. For all human purposes, the man was, was dead. For all human purposes, the man was dead. The word outcast does not suffice. These were seen as dead people walking. These were seen as people that were wasted space. And there are times in life when you can have distance because of the way others have treated you. Uh, I remember uh, my, my niece Mia, she passed away from a terrible accident. And I remember coming home and I was in my office at the church I was working in at the time and my friend found me there crying. And he came in and tried to console me. And he looked at me and he said, Lindsay, this is probably a couple weeks after it happened. And he looked at me and he said, Lindsay, there's a reason that she died. God has a reason for taking her. And however true that that may or may not be, that was the last thing I needed to hear. And it forced me to think, is this the God that I serve? A baby killer, you know, that steals babies in the middle of the day. And let me tell you, this happens all the time. Christians, we are just like any other person, and we say some really dumb stuff. We can say some really stupid things about our God. And we have to be careful because if we aren't careful, those things that other people have said about who God really is, they form our theology. They tell us who God really is. They, they demonstrate what our worth is, and we believe them. They define how much God loves them. And see, these men, they met Jesus on the highway because they refused to believe the rocks that had been thrown at them. They refused to believe that that is what God felt about them. Listen, if you have been told something about our God that has been hurtful, as your pastor, as somebody that preaches to you once a week, 
Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe it. Because distance is found in those moments. Don't let another's discouragement dictate your devotion. Because my God, man, he loves you. He loves the snot out of you. He loves every single bit of you. And all he wants, all he wants, is to be closer and closer to you. That's it. Next thing that we learn about distance. Distance sometimes comes from our decisions. Uh, These men didn't choose to have leprosy. They didn't choose for some guy 10 feet away to, to sneeze on them. They didn't choose that. But we choose sin. We choose it. We choose sometimes to walk away. Uh, David Cusick, he said, the condition of leprosy is a model of sin and its effects. It is a contagious, debilitating disease that corrupts its victims and makes them essentially dead while alive. See, there are times in our lives where we walk away. There are times that we decide there's going to be distance. You know, where we choose to step away from our church community. Where we choose that we're not going to read our Bibles anymore. We choose that we're going to lose track of this priority in our lives. Maybe temporarily, maybe permanently. And sure, all of those three things can combine. You could have a big circumstance, and then others brought their opinions into it and hurt you. And now you have chosen to walk away. But, but Jesus, he approaches us very similarly that he approaches somebody with leprosy in those moments. Uh, and I want to show you that. And so if this morning, if you say, yeah, distance has been in my relationship with the Lord by something that happened, something that somebody said, or something that I've chosen, I want you to lean in and listen to what happens next. Look at Luke 17, verse 14. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went on, they were cleansed of their leprosy. I want you to notice that phrase that starts with and. It says, and as they went on. Say that with me. And as they went on. Notice something. The priests were the people that were stoning the lepers. The priests were the people that made these laws that said that they had to be alienated from society. And Jesus could have done so many things. He could have snapped his fingers and said, you are healed. He, he did that. He could have said, uh, before you even said anything out of your mouth, I trusted, or you trusted me and I healed you. But he doesn't. He says, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went on, they were cleansed. And as they walked towards the priests, they were made healed. As they left, as they walked towards the people that had made enemies of themselves, they were healed. 
So what do we do when we feel distant from Jesus? First thing, you take a step of faith when you feel distant. You got to take a step of faith. You know, it's one thing to hear about Jesus on a Sunday morning. It's another thing completely to actually believe what he says. Charles Spurgeon, he said, as the sinner believes, he is saved. As a man begins to go toward the Savior, the Savior's grace meets him. Meaning that as I walk closer to Jesus, I get closer to the grace that he gives. Meaning that as I get closer to knowing him and trusting him and listening to him, I get closer to his grace. Healing leprosy in that day and age, it was so hopeless that it was synonymous with raising somebody from the dead. And Jesus walks into this situation, and he doesn't heal them instantly. But he says, walk towards the priest. And these men, they choose to do it. Which, insane, they choose to do it. Why did he tell them to walk towards the priest? Well, first of all, he knew that when the priests restored them, they would be restored fully to the community. They would be not just physically healed, but socially healed and spiritually healed. And so he says, walk towards the priest. And these men, they decide that they're going to take a courageous step. Listen, that day when the 10 lepers came towards the highway, that was courage. But when they stepped away towards the priest, that was faith. That was faith in trusting that I'm going to make it there. And by the time I get there, Jesus will figure it out. I don't know who he needs to hear that this morning, but maybe he is just asking one step of faith that says, I'm going to make it there, and Jesus is going to figure it out. I love the verse that that I read this morning in Hebrews 4. It says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That even when we are weak, Jesus already knows. And he says, come closer. Come closer. Let's keep reading in Luke, verse 13. Crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God. He fell on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Second thing that we have to do when we feel distant from the Lord is that we have to take some time to worship. We have to take some time to worship. Jesus heals ten men. And only one of them returns. Only one of them returns with praise. See, when we feel distant, we need to take time to worship Jesus. And before you think like, okay, guys, we're going to have a 10-hour marathon of singing, you know, 
buckle up, Elizabeth's ready, you know? Okay, uh, before you think that, and some of you, you're like, that would be a nightmare for me. Uh, like, I'm not a good singer, okay, <laughs> or something like that. And you think, that's not how I connect with the Lord. Let me give you a little disclaimer. As you are unique, so is the way that you are, or the way you connect with Jesus is unique. You know, some of us, we go out in nature and we see God's creation and we feel close to him. Others of us, you know, we, we find our peace in solitude and quietness, which is very difficult for your pastor, okay? <laughs> solitude and quietness. Others of us, we say, you know, if I can just study and understand God's word more intellectually, that's how I worship him. But however you are created to worship him, you got to take some time to do that. Now, if what I'm talking about, you're thinking, yeah, I have no idea. Um, please talk to me. I actually have an assessment that is called uh, Spiritual Pathways. And it talks about, it's this assessment that you take that will show you how you best connect with the Lord. But he, he says, you have to take some time to worship. Ten men go out and they're healed. One man returns, verse 17. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? <laughs> like, that's just a funny statement. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought there were 10 of you, okay? <laughs> he says, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. All 10 men were physically healed, but only one was spiritually healed. Only one got to draw near to Jesus that day. Charles Spurgeon, he said, external religious exercises are easy enough and common enough, but the internal matter, the drawing out of the heart in thankful love, how scarce a thing it is. Nine obey ritual, while only one praises the Lord. Listen, the Lord does not just want to, like, heal you and let you go. You know, he doesn't say, like, you've been made well, you have salvation, now go live your life. It's something a lot trickier than that. He says, no, I have made you well, and I want you to be closer to me. Every single day, I want you to be closer to me. Every single minute, I want you to walk towards me. Let me ask you this. Are you feeding your relationship with Jesus? Like, just imagine, like, I love food, okay? Imagine if my life was set up that every Sunday morning, somebody dropped a bowl of cereal at my doorstep, and then the rest of the week, I just waited for it again. I imagine they're Fruit Loops. I don't know why. Okay. Um, but it drops it there. I eat it. And for like a brief minute, I think, man, this is great. I love Fruit Loops. Not really. I don't know. Uh, but, but I eat that. And then all throughout the week, I think, well, if I just make it to the bowl of cereal on Sunday, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to die. Like, you guys are not worried, all right? I'm going to die, okay? I'm going to starve to death. And you can see where I'm going here. 
Like, if, if this location, if this day of the week is the only time that your relationship with the Lord is fed, man, you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to starve to death. Your relationship with the Lord needs much more. And let me tell you what, as somebody that preaches up here very often, that's a lot of pressure for me, okay? <laughs> like, there are days that I'm not nearly as holy as I'd like to be. And to say, that one lady, she sits up there and she talks about Fruit Loops, and that's what my relationship with, the Jesus, with Jesus is. Yikes. Now, it has to be this daily rhythm where we are being closer and closer to the Lord. And some of us, we don't wait for Sunday. We wait for like a retreat or a conference or some time where we have some dedicated time with the Lord. I'm looking forward to the women's camping trip, y'all. Shameless plug. Um, but, but, but we wait for that moment to happen. But let me tell you what, you do not need a conference or a retreat or a powerful sermon to be close to the Lord. The same worship that's in this building is in your life. You know, if you're like the type that says, man, when I get out into the wilderness, I just feel him. Let me tell you what, for free 99, there is wilderness everywhere. <laughs> and there is no place in this entire world that you could go and not see his creation. Except for maybe a steaming hot porta potty. I will say that, okay? Uh, but there is no place that you can go that is void of his creation. See, worship is meant to be done regardless of circumstances. It's meant to be done on your worst days and your best days. And I'm going to ask our worship team to come up this morning. And I was reading uh, Matthew Henry. He, like if you Google Bible commentary, he's the guy that comes up. Uh, he's a very famous Bible commentator. And uh, when he died, they read through his diary, which is probably a reason I don't keep a very up-to-date diary, because that's creepy. But, but they read his diary, and there was a day that somebody stole his wallet. And when they looked at the diary, they found that he was listing the reasons that he had to be grateful. He listed the reasons that he had to thank God when his wallet got stolen, and I have them for you. The first reason is that he had never been robbed before. The second was though they took his wallet, they did not take his life. Third, his wallet didn't have much money in it. That's fair. And last, he said, he had reason to praise God because he wasn't the one doing the robbing. See, oftentimes, we find ourselves distant from the Lord. And let me tell you, you have the tools to be closer. I think one of the harshest truths of this morning is that Jesus never drifts away. We do. Jesus never walks away. We do. Rick Warren, he said, you are as close to God as you choose to be. How close are you choosing to be today? You know, I talked about that step of faith that is required, and sometimes that step of faith 
is saying, I'm going to go back to serving. I'm going to go back to being in this Bible study. I'm going to go back to this or do this again and trust that the Lord is going to provide. Sometimes that step of faith is saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, of my own volition, there is distance between you and I. And it's taking that step of faith and saying, Lord, I am sorry and I trust that when I approach your throne of grace, your word says that there's mercy there. So this morning, I want to lead us through a prayer like that. I want to lead us in a time where we say, Lord, we are not as close as we used to be. So if you would take a posture of prayer, and maybe if that's you this morning that says, I feel distant, would you stand with me as, as I pray so that I can pray specifically for you this morning? Would you stand right now? God, you know my life. <laughs> Lord, God, you know, you know that I have chosen other things over you. Jesus, you know that, you know all of the stuff that I face. You know the circumstances. You know the things that people have said. Lord, and you know the ways that I have decided to walk away. Lord, but your love is unconditional. God, would you help me? God, would you ignite in my life a new love of who you are? God, would you teach me how to be closer to you? Jesus, and can I decide to worship you no matter what I'm facing? Lord, no matter how hard it is, Lord, may I find the reason to praise you.